You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Well, hey, good morning. Just want to welcome you guys to church. So glad that you guys are here joining with us this morning. I know we kind of got a a full house. We got some more seats up front here. For those of you guys who are coming in later, um, I know how it is. Coming in late to church is, is I, I'm late everywhere. Just ask my friends. I mean, I, I'm on island time. So, um, you guys doing all right this morning? You guys doing good? All right, good. Well, if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Titus. Turn to the book of Titus. And just a quick comment. Uh, sorry about the mess. Um, we're not going through like a midlife crisis. I know you walk in, you're like, everything is black. What is happening here? We're not going through, I know I scared a baby. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> we are not going through a midlife crisis. We are um, undergoing some really exciting projects that are, uh, that are taking shape and uh, taking place that, here within the church. But I do just want to say this to uh, some of you guys um, who are like, well, what's happening? Well, we'll tell you later. We're not going to tell you right now. Um, things are still developing. We're still praying about what some of these things would look like and how they would take shape. But we know one thing is for certain in life, right? That nothing is certain. Now, we know God is certain. We know that he is unchanging. He never changes. He stays the same. He is always good, always just, always glorious, always God. But just to say things in life would always stay the same is... To say that, that, well, that's impossible. Anything that have li- has life constantly changes. And so we have a lot of things, not just aesthetically within the building, but we have a lot of things that are going to be changing as a church. No leadership's changing. No theology is changing. But I just want to prepare you guys. Because when change happens, we're like, what? No. Uh-uh. I don't, don't give me change. But I just want to say, I just want to prepare you. Change is on its way. It's coming, and so I would be praying, you guys can be praying for us as we're going through a new season as a church, and we will be sharing more with you the exciting things that, that God is doing. And so um, if you guys want to, you don't have to, this Thursday, um, uh, we're going to be fasting and praying as a church. The whole day, we're just going to say, um, we're, we're, we're going to abstain from eating food, or maybe for you, it's abstain from using your phone, Right? Or if you're a teenager, abstain from playing video games. And we're just going to say, all right, God, we want to use the time that we would use instead of uh, enjoying video games or eating food or consuming something that feeds us. We want to um, take that time and carve it out and say, all right, Lord, what do you have for us as this church? Because we're a family. We are a church family. We come together. We make much of Jesus as a church family. And we want us to be, to be together. We want us to be praying about what God would have for us. So there you have it. A lot of exciting things taking place. And we'll be sharing with you guys more in the weeks to come. So hopefully you're in Titus now. If you're not in Titus now, it's over. It's not going to work out for the rest of the... It's not, it's not going to happen. Um, it was almost a month ago, I bought shoes online because I like this particular shoe. And you guys know how it is. And I'm not like a shoe, I, you don't walk in my closet, I'm like a thousand shoes. I'm not one of those guys. Um, 
But you know how it is living on an island, right? Uh, you go and you see something you like and you find the shoe, you, you find the color, they don't have it your size. It's like, dang it. And being that we are in the most isolated place in the world from any other large man la- land mass, what do you have to do? You have to go online and you have to make some purchases and have these things si- shipped. So I finally found the shoe. I found the size. I was really excited. But I got online. I purchased it. And uh, any of you love tracking packages? You like tracking? Okay, some of you. It's like an addiction to me. I like to, all right, when I, if I don't get the tracking code within 24 hours, I'm already getting nervous. What's happening? Did the item ship? And so the item, sure enough, it, it did ship, and it's shipping from somewhere on the mainland, on the east coast of the mainland. I'm like, great, it's going to take probably, instead of like three or four days, it's going to probably take a week. Well, sure enough, I saw on the shipping thing online, it said ground shipping. We live on an island, Right? Ground shipping. How, do, how does this work out? I'm, I'm not sure uh, this is going to play out so well. So I'm like tracking it. It gets to Long Beach. It takes about a week for it to get to Long Beach in California. And then it disappears. It's like off the radar for two weeks. So I'm like, yep, it's on a boat. Dang it, it's on a boat. So sure enough, this is over a month ago. I get my shoes a couple of days ago. I'm like, all right. They're here at least. At least my shoes are here. And so I go, and I'm excited. I come home from uh, working at the church all day, and I open it up, and I look, and I see the shoes. I'm like, these things are huge. (laughs) And I pick up, like, I lift up the tongue of the shoe, size 14. (laughs) You look at me. I am not a 14. I mean, I'm pushing 10 and a half, right? I remember when I was in junior high and high school, some of my friends were like, yeah, my shoe, I'm like size 13. I'm like size 26. What size are you, Travis? Seven, um, <laughs> size 14. So I'm thinking, That's not, this is not going well. This is not going well at all. So luckily, though, if you're not happy with your purchase, you can take the tag, rip it off, place it on a box, and ship it back. And I was like, okay, well, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm reading it, and it's like, and you can, we will cover the charge of ground shipping this item back to our warehouse, where then we will get the right shoe size if it's wrong, and then send it back to you. So I'm thinking it's going to take another month for it to get there, and then another month for it to get This is a three-month process. All I want are some shoes, okay? That's all I want. But I digress. I'm venting to you guys. I have a right to be upset, though. Wouldn't you agree a little bit, at least? I paid money, took money out of my pocket to purchase something that I now own, and I receive it, and it's not what I want. It's not what I had hoped for. I have a right to be frustrated. I have a right to be upset. I purchased them. I owned them. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, we are told that Jesus loves the church so much that he died for her. That is to say that you and I, to say that we are part of Jesus' church means that we are purchased and blood-bought, not by money, but by the very blood of God himself, that we would be his possession, that we would be his ownership, that we collectively as a church would be his bride. And since we are his possession, his adopted sons and daughters, since he does own the church, he has a right to be frustrated when something happens to something that he owns doesn't go the way that he wants it. I get upset about shoes. Imagine how upset 
God gets about the tampering of his sheep, of his people, of his church. And if he sees something happening in the church that is not right, let me just say, he will deal with it. He might give grace. He might give a time period where we kind of get to ride this thing along. But he will ultimately deal with it because we are purchased by him, by his blood. He owns us. We collectively are the bride of Christ. What we're looking at today in our message is throwback, defend. Truth is what makes God, God. Truth is what makes God good. He is ultimate truth. Truth is not part of his characteristic. It is who God is and makes him up. Just like love, just like justice are all attributes that make up God. And because God is committed to truth, God has set people in place. And as we will soon read, at times and opportunities for the truth to be defended for the truth to be fought for, for the truth to be protected. And we are going to see in Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, the heart of Jesus revealed in those who attempt to pervert the truth. What happens to those who lie? What, happened to, what happens to those who pervert the truth? Psalm 120, verse 3 says this, What shall be given to you? What more shall be do- done to you? O deceitful tongue, a warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of a boom tree. The one who deceives, the one who lies, the one who knocks people off the direction that they're supposed to be going closer to the Lord. The Bible says the tongue, the body that holds that tongue deserves to be pierced by arrows and deserves to be burned with coals heaped upon it. God hates those who pervert the truth. And Jesus has a right to be mad about the harm done to his bride. What we've done over the last four Sundays in looking at the book of Titus as we have been throwing back into Titus, looking at the church Jesus wants. We're getting back to our roots, getting back to who God has called us to be. Forget the stage lights, forget the design, forget the construction mess and the foyer and the lobby area. Who does Jesus want us to be as a church? That is what we are trying to seek. That is what we are trying to recover. The church Jesus wants. Wants. And today we are going to see how strongly God hates deceivers and why we should be defenders of the truth. If we can all stand right now for the reading of the Word of God, if you are able to stand. Starting in verse 10 For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful game what they ought not to teach. But one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths, And the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled 
and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we want to hear from you, Jesus. We know that you are a God of truth. We know that you are a God of love. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth, which means, Holy Spirit, we want you to come down and we want to know the truth about Jesus. So help me speak the words of truth. Help me to rebuke and encourage. Holy Spirit, let us hear these words, not just as a historical book, but the inspired, infallible, authoritative word of God that we would be changed. For those of us that profess your name, I pray that we would be transformed. And for those of us who do not know you as Lord and Savior, Jesus, I pray that you would change destinies this morning. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. If you look at verse 10, the first word in verse 10, we read, For there are many who are insubordinate, Empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. If you look there at the first word of verse 10, 4, that word is a conjunction word, which means it's fused right back to the verse that was there previously. So verse 10 and on is fused directly with verse 9. Like a hinge on a door, it connects these two truths. And what truths are we talking about in verse 9? Well, from last week, we talked about that the pastor, the shepherd of Jesus' church, must hold fast to the word of truth, must dedicate his life to the preaching of the good news, the preaching of the gospel. He must be unmovable, unwavering, compelled by the gospel, and he must teach people not what he thinks, not his opinions, but what God has said. If we come and we gather and we sit under a message and teaching and we've heard something from a man's opinion, we've wasted our time because God has said something and it deserves our attention. And the overall tone of what Paul is saying here is a bit intense, right? I mean, you read this and you look at it and you're like, this is a bit melancholy. This is intense. And what you see happening through the early church is godly men becoming unglued when it comes to people diverting them and pulling them away from the gospel from which they were first saved. And with all the fronts, the church is attacked on. Church, it's important to understand this. None is more dangerous than tampering with the saving power and the transforming power of the gospel. There's nothing more dangerous than to flirt with changing the word of God and the gospel or to veer away from it altogether. And for us, I think, to to have a good, healthy understanding of what's being said here in this text, Eugene Peterson said of this section of scripture, let me just read it to you, for there are a lot of rebels out there full of loose and confusing and deceiving talk. Those who were brought up religious and ought to know better are the worst. They've got to be shut up. 
They're disrupting entire families with their teaching, and all for the sake of a fast buck. One of their own prophets said it best, the Cretans are liars from the womb, barking dogs, lazy bellies. Ouch. He certainly spoke the truth. Get on them right away. Stop the disease talk of the Jewish. Make believe and make up rules so that they can recover a robust faith. Everything is clean to the clean-minded. Nothing is clean to the dirty-minded unbelievers. They leave their dirty fingerprints on every thought and every act. They say they know God, but their actions speak louder than their words. They're real creeps, disobedient, good-for-nothings. Welcome to church. (laughs) The main problem, Paul, and when we say Paul, Paul is the author of the book of Titus. We know that from verse 1, for catching you up. The main problem with Paul is confronting here is not an issue outside the church, ironically, but the main problem Paul is dealing with is an issue with inside the church. The main problem in Crete is not a secular problem, is not an agnostic problem. The main problem in Crete is not atheism, not Buddhism, not Hinduism. Not humanism. Yes, those are things that are not good, but all of those things are not the main problem attacking the church in Crete and attacking the church today. The main problem, you could say, is not an anti-religion problem, but it is religion itself, ironically. Religion is an enemy of the gospel. And it was true for them on the big island of Crete then, And it is true for us on the big island of Hawaii today that there is a lot of godly talk, but not a lot of godly living. The the Cretans are living on the fringes of Jesus and the faith, saying they know God, saying they follow God. But when you look at their life after Sunday morning, they live like hell. They're living for themselves. They're living for their own glory. In fact, if you look down at verse 16, what does it say? They profess to what? They profess to know God. I know God. I follow God. They're professing with their mouth, but it's all lip service because they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Then and today, many people have a creed, but no conduct. Conviction but no change. They say they have faith, but their lives have no works. Paul says, they, those type of people, are good for nothing. And I'm not about to assume, hey, we're all in church, we're doing great, that means we must be all doing fine. No, no, no. In fact, this could be one of those things where we're professing God with our mouth and we're here, but then with the way we live the rest of our life, we're living like hell. We're living for our own glory. Got quiet. Second Timothy 3.5, Paul writing another letter to another pastor. 
to a church in Ephesus. They're dealing with the same thing. He says this, that people having the appearance of godliness deny its power. They're having, they look godly. They got the t-shirt. They got the bumper sticker. They're doing the Christian thing, but they actually don't know God. They profess they know God. They give a bunch of lip service. They talk a lot, but there's nothing to back it up. And they are so good at this. Paul says that they need to be avoided. Such people should be averted from. Get away from them. And so what, what Paul does here is because he's offending every single person in, in Crete probably at this point, or a majority of the people, what Paul does is he says, don't just take my words for it. And he quotes their own prophet. If you look at verse 12, quoting uh, one of the Cretan prophets of their own, he said, Cretans are always liars, Always liars, not sometimes, always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Wow. Eugene Peterson translated it as we read, the Cretans are liars from the womb, barking dogs, lazy bellies. And so Paul is confronting this religious issue head on. When it comes to defending the truth, Paul is all about defending the truth. He's not going to, I mean, those of you guys who know Paul, Paul is not one to have a, a weak spine. He's a pretty strong character. And it's interesting because he's writing this to a pastor, and Timothy would have stood up in front of his church on the big island and read this to his church, just like we're doing today. I'm sorry, Titus, not Timothy. He would have done that. Got up. Titus would have just read what Paul has said, taken it to heart. Paul is saying this to a church because the problem is in the church. I'm glad that you're here, but this is a dangerous place for you to be. Because you are hearing the truth of the word of God. And you, when your body is laid six feet under or burned and thrown out in the ocean and your soul goes on, and your soul will go on, you will stand before an almighty God, and when you stand before him, you will fear him. You will tremble to your knees. You will not be able to say a single word, and God's gonna look at you and say, so why should you get into heaven? Will he say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity? I never knew you. Yeah, but Lord, Lord, we prophesied. We did all these things in your name. No, depart from me. And our soul will be cast into outer darkness for all eternity where flames will, will constantly be burning our bodies and we will be, have weeping and gnashing of teeth coming upon us. You guys, this is a dangerous place to be and I'm glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. But you are now going to be held accountable to if this is the first time you've ever heard it or if this is the 50th time to what has been said this morning. Let us never be like the Cretans where we have a religion. We profess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, but our life says something different. And don't hear me. I'm not saying you've got to do some good works now. I'm saying you've got to get be saved. You've got to repent. You have to say, all right, Jesus, I am so sorry. I am so wrong. I need to turn away from my wicked ways. and I need to turn and run to you. This is biblical. James 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? So what is James saying? James is saying that there is a type of faith you and I can have 
of professing to know God, but it's not actually a saving faith. We can say we believe in Jesus, but our life says otherwise. And notice James doesn't say they don't have faith. No, they do have faith. But just because they have faith doesn't mean that they are going to heaven. So the question in James 2.14, which says that if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? It's a rhetorical question. And what is the answer to that rhetorical question? You said it, not me, right? No. If we say we have faith but our lives don't have works from faith, we aren't saved. We aren't believers. We are not born again. And this is exactly what Paul is saying in verse 16. They profess to know God, but they deny him by the way they live. Their actions are speaking louder than their words. And I know this, you guys, I know this is hard to swallow. I know this is not easy to hear. But this is the truth. These people, these Christians can talk like there's no tomorrow, but their life says something different. And Paul gives us, and James gives us, the Bible gives us this self-test for us to evaluate, wow, am I really saved? Have I been born again? Have my desires been changed? It's not enough to say I'm a Christian. It's not enough to, to, to go to church. The Christians are liars from the womb, barking dogs and lazy bellies, all professing to know God. Being sincere and having good intentions is not enough. I got a ticket this week, believe it or not. I'm not going to tell you what I did. I ran a yellow light, okay? It was yellow when I entered. And I was really nice to the officer. I was sincere. My intentions were good. I was rushing to actually bring pizza to the church for all these guys and girls who we are so thankful for, uh, who've put blood, sweat, and tears volunteering their work to make this thing happen. Thank you, by the way. We appreciate your work so much. On my way to rush pizza to them, with good intentions, being sincere, I got a ticket. Was the office, and he was like, so what are you doing right now? I was like, oh, going to church, you know. We know he's smiling. You know what you did was wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, it was yellow when I entered, but it, it, was, it was wrong. Yeah. I'm. Okay. I'll be right back with your ticket. All right, sir. Yes, sir. I, I, okay. Didn't matter my intentions. I broke the law. Our sin has separated us from God. No one is righteous, no, not even one. I was dealing with a police officer, but can you imagine at the end of your life standing before the judge of the universe? Sincerity isn't going to cut it. He knows, and he sees our motivations. You guys know that demons believe in Jesus? Well, I believe in Jesus. Demons believe in Jesus too. In fact, James 2.19 says, you believe that there is one God, you do well or good for you, sucker. Even the demons believe and profess the name of Jesus. It's not gonna cut it, James says. The demons believe and shudder. 
So what is true faith? True faith loves Jesus. True faith adores Jesus. True faith has affection to Jesus. True faith makes much of Jesus. True faith doesn't mean you're perfect, but true faith means you know that you aren't perfect, but you love one who is perfect, and that one who is perfect will change your imperfections so that you would become more like Jesus. True faith is more than what's said from the mouth. It's not enough to be from the mouth. There has to be a change of mind, a transformation of the heart. And when the Bible says that takes place, it means that you must be born again, which means that you are born from above. You have a new nature. And I'm telling you, man, before I was a Christian, my life, I, all I wanted to do was see with how many girls I can get in bed with and how long that can last for before I was out of college. And I know you're like, whoa, that's a little strong. I'm a sinner too, okay? But I got saved going into seventh grade. And all of a sudden, I didn't desire those things anymore. I was like, God, wow, your grace towards me is incredible. And all of a sudden, my mind was changed. Those things that seemed so, so, such a wonderful, beautiful pursuit became disgusting. And I didn't want them anymore. I didn't want to touch them. I don't want to go there. You guys know, those of you who are saved, you know that to be true. Your desires are changed, and then the process of sanctification begins to take place where you're set apart. That is what marks faith from saving faith to not saving faith. The demons believe. The difference is repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation. If our heart and mind is renewed and transformed, that means the way that we live is different. It is changed because faith, true faith, does produce works. No longer are we liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, but we're new. We're changed. And the wonderful thing is you don't have to be religious. In fact, a religion is a disqualification for God's saving grace. Look at verse 10 again here. How big was this problem? For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Paul says there are many. We got a lot of people who are engaged in empty and vain discussions. They are skilled at pulling everyone off the main thing and getting them distracted on smaller things. They're good at getting them to focus on other things other than the gospel. And often, strangely enough, this thing is clothed in Christianity. That our modern day problem in Christianity is we often get involved in in-house debates and fightings and we go back on things and we fight for things that actually take us away from what really matter. And I think one of those things is discernment type ministries. Right? You see the TV program. You're flipping through the channels, and then all of a sudden, someone's talking about this discernment type thing, and they're like, oh my gosh, you need to be afraid. You need to be in the newspaper. You need to be freaking out about this because it's ending. It's going to be bad. And if you're not ready, if you're not prepared, and if you don't have your emergency kit, it's going to be over. You got a gun. You better get a gun. If not, you got to get bullets, right? You're like, oh my gosh, just shut up, right? These discernment type ministries 
aren't necessarily bad, but when Christians fight over equally legitimate biblical viewpoints, let's say, on the return of Christ. I have my beliefs and views about what the Bible says about the return of Christ, but there are people who believe and love the scriptures and love Jesus who also believe differently about the return of Christ or baptism of the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We can become more passionate and dogmatic about theological differences and we completely lose sight of the gospel. And amidst our bickering and amidst our in-house fighting and friendly fire, we hurt one another instead of build one another up. Instead of loving the gospel and showing the gospel and showing grace that has transformed us, we don't do that to one another. One great example of this, for example, is the mark of the beast. I've been part of discussions of people, what is the mark of the beast? Is Obama the Antichrist? And people are getting consumed by these things, and they're looking through revelation, and they're looking for the revelation of the Antichrist, when the, revelation, the book of Revelation is what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Not the Antichrist. Not the mark of the beast. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad, but I mean, I was talking to someone this week about the new iPhone 5S. And for those of you guys who know, the new iPhone 5S uh, has this fingerprint scanner. It scans your finger and it, um, and it re- re- registers your fingerprint so that you can unlock your phone. And someone told me, I cannot buy the iPhone 5S because it could somehow become later on in the future the mark of the beast. And I don't want to accidentally get the mark of the beast. And I was like, a button on a phone is going to do that. You're not going to accidentally get the mark of the beast. You have an allegiance to Satan himself, and then you are marked, just like Christians are marked by the Holy Spirit, those who have allegiance to Satan are marked by the beast. And sure, that might take place. I don't know if it's a barcode, 666 on your own. You can fight that on your own. I'm not getting involved with that, okay? But please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying theology and doctrine are not important. Those of you who come to this church know We are all about the Bible and theology and doctrine. But there are primary things and there are secondary things. And we are not going to contend for secondary things. We're going to contend for the main thing. What happens though is people get more and more and more passionate about their secondary issues than the main things. And in the process, even in the name of Christianity or a theological truth, people... Sin. They create idolatry and they miss Jesus. And hear me out. Satan would love it if we talked more about the mark of the beast, myths and conspiracy theories. Satan would love it if we talked anything other than Jesus. Satan's totally okay if we got in this in-house debating, talk, debating, fighting, talking about these things that really are secondary issues. And again, we're not trying to downplay theology, but the Bible upholds more than all of these things. All of these little debatable things is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. It is always about Jesus. We can't veer away from that. We can't get distracted from that. We can have fun. We can discuss. We can talk. But don't get pulled away 
And I think some people would rather talk about myths and things that bother them because for them to talk about where they are at and their relationship with Jesus, which is, in the end, the most important thing, is a scary thing for them. It's like hitting an open nerve. They would much rather talk about their theological point of difference because they themselves are not following Jesus the way that they ought to be. And that happens I mean, I've debated, I, someone within my own family debated. We were part of a college ministry, and we were going back on Calvinism and Arminianism and all these things, and, um, and we were going at it, and uh, he had a good point. In fact, part of what he said had caused me to rethink some things. But after a college group, he went with all his buddies, got slammed drunk, and slept with the girl in the college group. What good is your theology if it doesn't change you? What good is your point if you don't make a difference? Let us be people who want to be changed, to be transparent before an almighty God and say, God, I don't want to get distracted from you. I don't want to be pulled away from you. So empty talkers can distract and deceive us from what really matters we know. It's often clothed in Christianity, but often... It's clothed in religion. Look at the second half of verse 10. It says, especially those of the circumcision party. Now, Paul has had some sparing with those of the circumcision party before. This is not a new thing. This is an old pastime for Paul. Paul always finds himself getting in fights with those of the circumcision which if you're taking notes, those are Jewish leaders who taught that believing in Jesus was not enough. And in order for you to be saved, in order for you to be, tra- to be transformed, you needed to go through the religious ceremony of circumcision. All, which all the guys would say, I'm good. I don't want to be part of that at all. And you can imagine being a 25-year-old, 30, 40, 50, 60-year-old believer, being a Gentile, and someone telling you, you need to get circumcised. You're like, I don't know how I feel about that at all, actually. But that wasn't what bothered Paul. In fact, he used to be one of these guys, ironically. Paul used to hate Christians, used to hate the church. In fact, he went out to destroy it. But once in Paul, Saul got saved and became Paul. Listen, you want to get Paul's blood boiling? distract people from the message of the cross. Pull people away from the gospel and you will set Paul off. He will start getting crazy on you. You don't want to be around Paul when he gets angry. People would say it's not enough. These of the circumcision would say it's not enough. Jesus' shed blood saves some of you, but not all of you, and you need to do your part to save yourself. And Paul said, no. If you could save yourself, that is not good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ and his grace with the Holy Spirit coming upon you is what saves you. No religious act of circumcision or anything we do saves us. Now, yes, sin needs to be dealt with. It does need to be cut off, but no ceremony will do that. But the religious people will say to the people in the church then and to the people in the church today, see, your sin 
shows how weak the power of the gospel is. That's what religious people say. But the gospel says your sin doesn't show the weakness of the cross. Your sin reveals your need for the cross all the more. We, I got a ticket this week. We're all sinners. Sin isn't a disqualification. Our sin reveals our very need for the gospel. The gospel is for people who cannot help themselves. And where does Paul, what does Paul say that we are to do with these type of people that do this, that distract us, that pull us away from the gospel? Check this out, verse 11. They must be silenced or shut up since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful game that they ought not to teach. They are in it for themselves. They're in it for the glory. They're in it for the money. And Paul says they must be shut up. They must be silenced. And like we said, this is not a new fight for Paul. Paul has been continuously fighting this religious problem. In fact, 10 to 15 years earlier, Paul is still dealing with this talking about the same argument that we cannot help ourselves, but that we do all need help and that we cannot tap good within us to change, that nothing religious can help us. 10 to 15 years ago, Paul, writing a letter to the Galatians church, says this in Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who you called and the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you, who want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. And if what Paul says isn't explicit enough in verse 11 to shut up, Galatians 1, 7, let him be accursed. Paul says this in Galatians 5, 12. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Are we in church right now? Is this in the Bible? Uh, this is intense. Paul's like, I wish those who are distracting you, pulling you away from the gospel, would chop it off. That is hardcore. I mean, that, that is intense, but that is how passionate Paul feels about this. I mean, you don't see Galatians 5.12 on grandma's calendar, do you? You don't see Galatians 5.12 on bumper stickers. There's an idea for some of you. No, I'm just kidding. That's a terrible, a terrible idea. I wish those of you... You guys, this is a severe problem. And there are people who will walk up in suits and in robes and in skinny jeans every Sunday and talk to you about stuff. And Paul would say those, even with the title pastor, should emasculate themselves, should be accursed, should shut up and be quiet. They have no right to be opening their mouth. 
And because these Cretans and those of the circumcision party were liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons, in verse 13, Paul says this. This testimony is true. (laughs) It's intense, but it's true. Therefore, what does he say? Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. We do it. Why? Because we love their soul. We love their soul. Now, devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the command of people who turn away from the truth, to the pure, all things be pure. To the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So Paul says to us, those who turn away from the truth often have followers. These people can pull people away from the gospel, and they are good at it. They are skillful. They're like, hey, you want to come follow me? And they're, they're, they, there's a market for it. People will follow. There are people hungry for truth, but they don't know the truth. And so people will sign up for that. It looks sleek. It's got nice packaging. Wow, let's go. Let's, let's go there. Let's, I want to be part of this. Come on. I want to go. And Paul's like, no, you, you don't, don't go. You need to stay away from these people. Because people, you guys, we are susceptible to these things. We are susceptible to be distracted from the gospel. You right now, in your soul, and in my soul, have a part of us that appreciate the gospel. But I mean, in fact, one pastor told me, Travis, you have to understand one thing. Majority of the people do not want to hear the gospel. They don't, even within your own church. They want seven points to having a killer marriage. But they don't want, this is how your heart needs to be transformed because you're a wicked sinner. You can go on Google and find seven points to having a great marriage. And we'll talk about having a good marriage in the future. In fact, throwback manhood is next week. It's a chance that I get to yell at all the guys, right? Including myself. (laughs) We're going to have fun. But we can easily be distracted. We can easily be pulled away, and it's crafty. In fact, I will never forget the time um, I was on a surf trip in Mexico, I used to go with some of my friends growing up. We'd go down to Mexico, and on this one trip, we brought a new friend, and we're down there in Mexico, and, uh, you know, they have, like, the, the markets where you can go, and you bargain with them, and it's so, it's so much fun just to bargain. And, and so I'm walking by this one, like, booth thing, and they're like, Oakley glasses, $50! And I was like, right, Folkleys, I'm on to you. I know better. I've been down here enough. But So I'm, you know, just talking story with this guy. We're going back and forth with my broken... Spanish and, and his broken English. We're starting to, to go back and forth. And he's like, $50. I was like, $5. He's like, $25. I was like, $6. $15. I was like, $7. $10 and it's yours. I was like, I'm good, man. So we just, we kept talking though. We had a good time. But I told my friend before we got there, here's the deal. You got to bargain. If, if we get lost, because there's a ton of people walking around, just don't, 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 just, just, Man, you got to bargain it, right? And so anyways, um, we get lost. 30 minutes later, we end up connecting again. He's like, Travis, I'm so excited. i got to show you, bro. I got a pair of Oakley sunglasses for $50. No, no, no. Oh, did you give him the money already? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's like, dude, you just, you just, you just bought fake Oakley. He's like, no, they're not. Look at the logo. Look at the way this thing, this thing is real. It's like, no, you just got robbed. You don't even know it. 
Two days later, we're still there. It starts raining, wearing his sunglasses. The white logo of the Oakley starts dripping on the side of the sunglasses. <laughs> See, sucker, I got you. And, and he, you know what he felt like? He's like, I got robbed. And I rubbed it in his face. He was like, yeah, you did got robbed. Shame on you, man. If the local church in Crete does not feed the truth of God from its pastors, they cannot discern what is true and what is fake, and they get robbed. And this is why every Sunday morning, me and the other pastors will devote to you and we will serve you the word of God. This is what the Bible says. Because I don't want you, should you move to another island, should you move to another place in the world, or maybe you're a student here and you're visiting and you're going to go, I don't want you. I care and love for your soul. I know this is hard. But I love you, and I want you to know what this book says. And by you knowing what this says, you can tell the Folkleys out there. You can spot it. But I'm not going there. I don't want any part of that. I don't want to get there. I want you to see the truth. And this is why Paul says in verse 13, check this out, verse 13. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. Isn't that how it is? I've talked to many of you, even in church you guys come into church, if we talked after service, and yeah, it's blessed by the message, but it's like I got stabbed and, like, wound, like and put a Band-Aid over and stitched up at the same time. And that's what the Word of God does. You're built up, and you were encouraged. But the Word of God is a sword, dividing the joints and the marrow, convicting us, showing us Jesus, showing us the glory of God, and revealing to us our sin. We need to be comforted, and confronted, encouraged, and rebuked. And that is why we do what we do. So that they may be sound in the faith, verse 13. They might have a robust faith. Paul doesn't doesn't go around telling people to chop it off just for the fun of it. Paul's like, I love you. And I want you to change. I want you to know the truth. We rebuke strictly so that those would be sound in the faith meaning that we know what the Bible says. And like we said last week, when we know what the Bible says, when we know rightly about Jesus, we glorify and worship Jesus rightly. And when we view Jesus wrongly, we worship him wrongly. And we open the Bible, and I do not give my commands, like verse 14, but we give the commands of God, and we will defend. You guys, I will defend and fight the truth. We are committed to that. And I hope you are too. And if it means calling out a name, <coughs> Oprah, we will do it. We will call out the name. There are things happening within, within other churches here. And attacks that we're getting from another church in particular. I'm not going to mention their name. And if this thing gets heated, I'm going to mention some names. Because I love you. Because I love Kona. Because there are those who are dressed up like sheep, but they are wolves underneath all that fur. And they're in it for themselves. They're in it for a buck. And I don't do this to be popular. In fact, it's quite the opposite what happens when we do what we do. But I love you. And I love Jesus more than I love you. And I care about what he says more than I care about what you say. And notice this, this is this idea of rebuking and encouraging hinges right back to verse 9, if you look. 
he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. We need to hold fast to the truth and we must engage in the fight. Let me say that again. We must hold fast to the truth, but we also as Christians must engage in the fight. This reminds me of a prophet in the Old Testament named Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man called by God to go back into the land of promise. And as he went back there, there was a resurgence of God's people following Nehemiah's leadership. And they're there to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the city walls around Jerusalem. And attacks are coming, threats are coming as they're building the city of Jerusalem back. Even within their own team there, people are bickering and fighting. Momentum is gained. The excitement hits. And isn't that often when that happens? That when momentum is gained and excitement hits and growth happens, that's when the opposition, that's when the attacks begin to take place. And as death threats are coming to God's people, in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 15, we are told this. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan. Wait, wait, what? God had frustrated the enemies. I love that. God just like, yeah, I'm going to make you angry right now. I'm going to stir up the pot. We all returned to the wall, each to his work. So they're rebuilding the city. In Nehemiah 4.16, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and the other half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. I love this imagery. We are fighters, and we are builders. We are sheep and we are soldiers. We will defend the truth at all costs, but we will love people and rebuke them when necessary. We must have a sword in one hand, church, and a shovel in the other, ready to turn around and attack when needed and ready to build up and encourage when necessary. No wonder Paul feels so strongly about this. No wonder Jesus, when we're looking at the throwback church, is so passionate about the truth because Paul didn't write this just on his own. The inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God told him to write what is here in Titus. Church, let us be a people who love the truth. We're not pigging out on airheads. We're eating steak. We're into the word of God. Because Jesus loves his church and Paul wants Titus to be a pastor who loves Jesus' church and loves the truth. And just as Titus was obedient and what God called him to do, I have been obedient, I believe, to the best of my ability to do what God has called me to do. And that is to share you the truth. I have done my job this morning to preach the world, word, to build up, to rebuke and encourage and to fight. But now it's your job. What are you going to do with the truth? The gospel has gone out. We've talked about the gospel. That Christ came to save those who cannot save themselves. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And it's by faith alone in Jesus Christ that we are saved. And the mark of true faith is what? Repentance. Repent this morning. Christian or non-Christian. Repent from our sin. Let our minds be changed. Not just professing with our mouths, but believing in our hearts that Jesus is Lord. 
Everything is clean to the clean-minded, and nothing is clean to the dirty-minded and unbelievers. Be clean-minded this morning. Let the Holy Spirit do a work in causing you to be born again. Let's pray. Jesus, you said some things. You said many things to people that some would consider unloving. Others would say it's not politically correct. Others would say it's incredibly offensive. But Jesus, we know that the truth is offensive to those who do not believe. With every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you sat and you've heard the preaching of the word of God, and you've been offended by the word of God, but you have repented from your sin this morning, and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and renewed you and changed you and transformed you. Confess your sin to Jesus. Place your faith in Jesus Christ this morning, and he will lovingly, graciously accept you, and you will be his adopted son and daughter. If you have sat and you have heard this message been preached with every head bowed, with every eye closed, and you've heard the gospel go out, and you've believed in Jesus this morning for the first time, and you want to respond to the gospel going out in faith in Jesus Christ, go ahead and raise your hand up in the air if that's you. Go ahead and raise your hand up in the air. I know many of you. Some of you I don't know. All right. God, thank you for the work that you've done in our lives this morning. God, we know that all things work together for the good to those who are the called according to your purpose. I don't know what anyone or everyone is going through at this moment right now in life, but just as sharp words have gone out and rebukes have gone out, God, I also pray that just as we've talked about the goodness of you, we've been built up and encouraged that we would have time to reconcile that with you. Jesus, we want you to have all of us, not just our mouth, but our mind, our heart, our entire life. We lay it at your feet. We want to make much of you. We want to adore you. We want to be friends of you. Thank you for being so gracious to us, God. We love your word. We love your truth. Sanctify us in the truth, God, for your word is truth. We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.